Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, we got dancing Bearcats. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. You're right. Yeah, completely kind of lost in the uh, in the shuffle of uh, all things real life. You know, lots of heavy real life things happening right now. It's sometimes tough to focus on the good that is John Brandon's recruiting. Uh, he's locked in a new player for the university basketball team. Victor Lakin. I think uh, Lakin. Lakin. Uh, L-A-K-H-I-N. I haven't heard it pronounced out in the real world yet. Um, I just do know it's Victor. Yes, and and the good news for him is, so he's he's going to come in as a freshman. He's going to have four years of eligibility. Like I said before, he is from Russia. Honestly, this is not a surprise to many folks. It's long been rumored. This has been out there floating around the internet. Uh, and then obviously, if you subscribe to BearcatJournal.com, you've seen the information out there. Uh, but he's very talented. He came in, and I think on 24-7, he's already a top 150 prospect, pushing John Brandon's recruiting class into the top 40 in the country. He's setting the world on fire for the Bearcats. Uh, honestly, it's just been an incredibly impressive start for John Brandon uh, in terms of how he's recruiting, how he's coaching, the energy he's bringing to the city of Cincinnati for the Bearcat basketball team. But Hummer, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm carrying on too long about that because that's really not why we're hopping on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a different conversation uh, than that. Before we'll, we get we'll into it, the- we'll touch on Victor. You know, I think we should, we'll touch on him this weekend when we hop on because, I mean, we, let's face it, we, Victor wasn't a surprise to us. Um, you know, not going to, we can't rename, you know, reveal sources here, but it wasn't exactly news um, for, for us. So we've had some time to take a look and know kind of what he's about. So we, we can do a full deep dive on, on what we can expect from um, Victor or what we may not be expecting from Victor uh, for this season. So Right. And well, and the last Bearcat news I should mention is that uh, the basketball tournament, which we've been pushing hard on this podcast to see uh, Melvin Levitt's Bearcat Jam team get selected for the basketball tournament, that unfortunately, that campaign has come to a disappointing close they were not selected for the basketball tournament, and I'm going to put all of the blame on Lance Stevenson. Uh, again, he has let us down. Uh, you've let Bearcat Nation down by uh, seemingly having no interest in associating yourself with the university any longer. And you know what? Screw you, Lance. <laughs> I remember when we talked about Lance Stevenson uh, as I think it was the most disappointing Bearcat or something. You, you skewered me for it. And now he's just, he's just proving me right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're, I'm just being, I'm, I'm just busting, uh, busting Lance chops a little bit here. It's, he's certainly not to blame for not getting selected. You just, trying to, are you just trying to whisper in his ear a little bit, trying to, <laughs> trying to nibble just a little bit. Join our team. Join Bearcat Jam. 50% of the earnings. Give me yours. Anyway, Hummer, we're, we're keeping things lighthearted here to start because we are going to actually get into some heavier topics on the podcast. Look, it wouldn't be appropriate to have a podcast of this nature where we're actually, we have people tuning in, we have people listening, and to completely ignore what's happening in the world, and specifically the protests that are happening across the country, 
um, protesting against police brutality. Uh, they were ignited by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure many folks, if not all, have seen the video by now and the photos. Uh, just absolutely horrific stuff. Uh, a cold-blooded murder, uh, slow, over eight minutes and 46 seconds. Devastating for the country, devastating for uh, members of the, the black community across the country. Should be devastating for anyone uh, with any sort of heart. So with that, people have taken to the streets. Uh, and it's not just because of George Floyd. This has been a long systemic issue in this country. It's for far too long gone unaddressed. We typically um, come up with half solutions that push it down the line. And, and, and obviously that's just not going to get it done. We need to see improvement in this country. You see other murders like Breonna Taylor in Louisville. You see uh, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. We need to do better. We need to demand better as a country. And, uh, we need to talk about it on our podcast as well. And, and the interesting thing, Hummer, is that this is our second go at the podcast. Uh, a few nights ago, we decided to record. And as we were talking, uh, we thought it would actually be interesting to get Ronald Allen on the podcast to share his perspective. He's someone who is incredibly well-read on history. He's opinionated, and he offers a perspective that's far different from Hummer and myself, which is a perspective from a black man. Um, so we actually did invite him on the podcast, kind of threw a Hail Mary out there to see if he would join us on the spot. And he did. And the fact is, we went for about two hours on that podcast. And I would say based on the vast range of content, the vast range of topics we actually covered during that interview with Ronald Allen, um, it kind of it made our intro a bit obsolete. So before we get to that interview, I thought we just take a few more a few moments here to share you know our our overarching thoughts on what's happening in America right now um and maybe try and tie it into to the Cincinnati Bearcats specifically yeah and and I want to go far it, it, yes it is interviewing at times but it's also it's it's really more of a discussion you know what we're what we're what we're talking about with Ronald Allen cuz you know that's when we're talking about these these protests and and what what specifically focus on the protests because you know I know I, I've seen a lot of people have this conversation and want to turn it to to the riots but what the riots were what two weeks ago and it, it's not rioting anymore it's protesting you know and and so the message here is it's you know it's need to be it needs to be heard but more importantly we need to sit down in society and have discussions about it it's not something you can be fearful of it's it's going to make you uncomfortable but you have to embrace that uncomfortable that uncomfortableness that is part of the the main what makes people so afraid of change is that uncomfortable feeling that is associated with it and if, in order to get over that discussions need to be had and that's why you know we came together and thought you know well we really should talk about this and when we actually did get Ronald Allen, we were kind of like, you know, I guess you'll probably hear our reaction, like, whoa, he's actually joining. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of came to a, to, a, to a screeching halt in a good way in that we had someone join the, the podcast who could offer his own personal accounts in, term, in terms of what he's experienced in this country. Um, and he's, you know, he's very interesting to talk to. And you're right, it's not an interview. It is a conversation. I felt like I learned quite a bit during the conversation I thought there was a ton of honesty, openness, and uh, different ideas and thoughts shared about what we've all experienced and what we, where we'd like to see this country move going forward. Um, so I hope you tune into that. 
Um, and Hummer, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, it's been interesting to see how long people have hung on to the term riots because riots is not what we're, what we're seeing anymore. Um, it's, it's very much an overall peaceful protest. It's people that are, that are trying to disrupt society. They want to make you uncomfortable. They want to interrupt your daily lives because by doing that, it is hopefully making you stop and think about um, the issue at hand, police brutality. You know, that is the focus right now. It's on our police departments. It has been incredibly disappointing to see peaceful protests across the country being consistently met with cops in riot gear and cops who, who take the tact of, of meeting peaceful protests with violence. And it's just unfortunate to see that these situations largely get escalated and not de-escalated by our, by our law enforcement officers. It's, it's, a, it's a culture change that we need to spur. It's, it's, a, it's a culture of law enforcement that we need to really look hard at, in the mirror at and decide, is this what we really want in our law enforcement as Americans? And, and I think the answer, the answer is obviously no. You know, this, the kind of brutality that we're seeing against uh, citizens of all color and creed during these protests is completely unacceptable. But we're only seeing it now during the protests because people have these video cameras. This type of violence has been consistently perpetrated against the black community for decades, for centuries. And it's just, we're well past due actually in initiating some sort of real change um, in this respect. Yeah, which, which brings us, I mean, I know we're, it's, I don't want to sound tacky in the way we do this, you know, because you know, we, we obviously want to tie this into what we're, what we're experiencing in Cincinnati. And one of the biggest topics that, that I kind of saw in the headlines, or I guess you could say some, in my opinion, Fox outrage uh, was the University of Cincinnati wanting to, being pressured, rightfully so, to change the name of Marge Shot Stadium. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nathan and, Moore. Nathan Moore kind of brought that to light with a statement on Twitter about uh, what it was like to play for that stadium, play under a stadium under her name. And, and let me explain what I mean by Fox outrage. I'm talking about the people who, who are thinking that it's wrong to change the name, that, that you're, because let's face it, by changing Marshot's name off a of baseball stadium, you're not erasing history. You're not deleting history. You're not trying to, to hide something. You're trying to basically, t it, naming a stadium after someone or naming a building is a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence. And Marge Schott, with the comments she's made, how she ran her organization, the Cincinnati Reds, is not something that deserves respect. It's not something that deserves to be honored. You know, all right, she was a very wealthy woman and she did choose to leave money to the University of Cincinnati. There shouldn't be an obligation. You know, the other fact, and we talked about this, is the university or the, the, uh, the foundation that left the money has also not, they said they're not gonna ask for the money back if the name has changed. You know, so there's really nothing standing in the way of the university to say, immediately change the name. I agree, I know there's, it's, what's interesting is this, the, the movement to remove Marge Schott's name from the stadium is in the same vein as Confederate statues being torn down in the same vein as, as statues commemorating Christopher Columbus being torn down. It's not a destruction of history. I think you clarified that. But in terms of what's happening at the University of Cincinnati, it's just simply bringing to light that, hey, in 2006, the 
the Schott Foundation donated $2 million to the university. It, and because of that, we put her name on the stadium. And that was the wrong decision then. It continues to be the wrong decision now. But here we are in 2020. We have a moment in front of us where there's tons of attention on, on these types of uh, wrongs across the country. Cincinnati, the University of Cincinnati, how about you bring this down, pull her name off the, of the stadium. Look, I've, I imagine this is going to eventually happen. It has been very questionable. It's been very disappointing to see John Cunningham, President Pinto. It's just very slow to react. I don't even think the meeting about this topic is happening for another week at this point, Hummer. Which, and this which is, is just insane. a no-brainer decision. It's a layup. It's a layup, and but honestly, at this point in time, it's it's kind of right in line with John Cunningham's mo. It appears everything with John Cunningham is delayed. Everything with John Cunningham is not happening when it's supposed to happen. You know, we were supposed to have a deal in place for Luke Fickle and an extension way back when February. We've been doing nothing but working from home for three, four months now. You're telling me you haven't had a chance to talk to your head football coach. About, a, about negotiating some sort of deal. You know, just from the delay with that, and then you have something like you just said, it's a layup. This is the easiest decision in the history because no one's even asking for the, there is no controversy here. There's no one saying, well, we're gonna have to give $2 million to the university back. You know, and even if that was the case, even if that was the case, for everybody out there who says that, you would have no problem throwing an extra $2 million a year in the Luke Fickle salary pool but you would have issues giving, giving away back to someone who was disgraceful in terms of, of what they did in their lives to earn right. that money to give to you? Well, we didn't specifically say it, but I mean, Marge Schott is someone who's got plenty of stories about being an open racist, uh, using racial slurs consistently when she was alive. Anti-Semitic. Anti-Semite, uh, homophobic. Look, this is not someone who should be honored on a University of Cincinnati baseball field. It's, a, it's an easy decision for the university to take her name off of the field. It was very questionable that it was put up there to begin with. Um, but you're right. Just very, 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 very slow to act. Uh, let's get the board of trustees together. Let's see what, what they're deciding. And it, it makes it seem as if there is an actual difficult decision to be made here. Obviously, I suspect there are, there are ways in which they could have called an impromptu emergency meeting amongst the board of trustees to say, hey, this is brought to our attention. We have folks like Nathan Moore, Kevin Euclid, and other extremely prominent members of the University of Cincinnati community telling us, hey, this is not something we want to be associated with. Kevin Euclid told a fascinating story that he was actually offered to make a contribution. I guess he was presented with the opportunity to, hey, make a contribution to the university. We want to put your family name, Euclid, on the stadium in, but it would be in addition to being called Marge Shot Stadium. Kevin Euclid spoke to his dad about this, and his dad clearly said, son, this is a huge honor for you, but in no way, shape, or form should our family name be associated with that woman because of her anti-Semitic comments and beliefs. And he's right. He shouldn't be associated with it. And Kevin Euclid should probably be the name that is on our baseball field. So John Cunningham... Pinto, get together, get the board of trustees together, actually prioritize this and get her name off the stadium. It's just, it's disappointing that it's dragging out. Um, and I don't, honestly, Hummer, I, I don't want to do a disservice to what's going on in the country. 
to focus on this too much. I just I'm taken aback by the it's fact just, that it's just it's just a, it's a it's a literally a microcosm of the of the bigger picture. The fact that this is something this small, this easy, you know, is is giving is is one taking this so much attention because because like you said, this is a layup. It's a slam dunk. That's that's the issue. That's why it's worth talking about. Is this is something that could have been done quickly, swiftly, and it would have made an impact immediately. Instead, it's dragged out. It's making in the university, frankly, right now, in my opinion, you know, we were getting ready. We've been talking about having, you know, conversations about the the status of the brand, the status of the UC Athletics brand, and you know, you're seeing John Cunningham makes these, you know, these missteps. And granted, I can't really say Luke Fickle is a misstep at this point. We were just expecting an extension, but cutting the soccer team, you know, the more I'm reading into that situation, that's a load. That's a load of BS. That should have never been cut. You know if you look at the actual accounting of the smaller sports, they actually pay for themselves through tuition dollars from the students. Uh, now, now you get to something as easy as this, like, come on, you know, and John Cunningham hasn't been on the job long, but as of right now, he's not instilling the confidence that you would, that we were seeing from other athletic directors. But like you said, let's not focus too much on this, especially with, with all the conversation that we get into um, with Ronald Allen and, you know, some of the, the topics and, you know, for those who are listening and sticking around, listen to it. There's going to be times where you're probably going to be made to feel uncomfortable. Good. You, it's okay. Embrace it. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. I hope you folks stick around, uh, listen to the interview break. You know, it's a, it's a long one. Uh, sorry. And listen to the conversation. It's a long one. Um, but I, 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 I had, a, I learned a lot just in speaking with Ronald and having him on. I thought we, we covered a lot of interesting topics and and it went into different directions not necessarily having any sort of um look there was no plan of action in terms of where it was going to go because we got him on the podcast extremely last minute uh the last thing i'll say hummer before we we get into the ronald allen interview is that this this problem that we have in america obviously we're putting a ton of focus right now on the police and police brutality and rightfully so we have problems across the board, though, in terms of systemic racism. Um, we have a culture of mass incarceration in this country, and just about every level of government plays some level of government business. They're playing some role in what's going on here. Police, the, the culture of police is in such a way because of how we imprison people, and it's because of how much money is tied up in that prison system, which is which dates back. And, and can honestly be traced back all the way to slavery. So my recommendation is read books, read articles, listen to, listen to podcasts. I'm not going to say that me and Humber are the, are the subject matter experts on this topic, but we are doing what we can to learn more about it, to talk to the right people, and to make sure that we're doing more with a platform like, like Cincy Slang and to actually talk about difficult issues and we'll try and always do it within the context and framework of the University of Cincinnati and our sports teams. Uh, but just that's that's my recommendation and my ask of listeners is to is to please just take the time and do a little bit of work in terms of uh, learning and and making yourself uncomfortable. I think the discomfort Hummer's talking about is very very healthy for us as a society. Hummer, I don't think there's any any sense in wasting any more time because we had a great conversation with Ron Allen. And it, and it's a long one, so don't and be afraid long. to don't be afraid to put this one on pause and revisit it. 
you know, yeah. cut the grass, you know, cut the grass tomorrow, listen to an hour, pause it. When you cut, pick, cut the grass again next week, pick it up, listen to it again, listen to the end. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will certainly appreciate any feedback we get. If you find the conversation interesting or have things that you want to uh, bring up yourself, please go ahead and share those with Hammer and myself. We're on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Shoot us an email, cincyslangin at gmail.com. Hummer, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Ronald Allen. While we were talking about this, it, it took me back to a conversation we had a, a couple months ago at this point with Ronald Allen. Uh, he was, it was an incredibly insightful interview. He was honest and open about where he came from, his experience at the university, he just text his you? experience in the G League. Um, I shot Ronald Allen a text and said, hey, this is what we're talking about. I would love to get you back on the podcast right now if you're available and uh, hop on here and talk to the people. Ronald Allen is calling into the podcast. So uh, we are going to have him pop on here and we'll go ahead and see if it happens. Ronald, are you there? See if we can hear him. What's up? Can you hear us? Hey, man, how's it going? What's going on, man? How y'all doing? Hey, good to talk to you. Glad you, uh, it was kind of a Hail Mary. Hummer and I were sitting here recording a podcast. Uh, it's been a few weeks. We, I mean, it's an off season, right? So there's not as much Bearcat basketball or football or, or this and that to talk about. But look, there's plenty in America to talk about. We were getting into some of the concerns we have with police brutality. Uh, we tied that into the baseball field situation with the University of Cincinnati, which is currently named after Marge Schott, who, if you're not familiar, has lots of, uh, she's a racist, right? So she was a racist. She was an anti-Semite, and it's it's very problematic to have her baseball field named after her. As such, we're wanting to see more prompt and more um, decisive action from our university when it comes to uh, to the naming of the baseball field. Anyway, was hoping to get you on here because, look, our conversation last time you were on was, was interesting to say the least. We spent a lot of time together uh, on that episode, and I thought that there might be – you would lend a good perspective to this conversation, uh, certainly a, a different perspective than Hummer and myself. First of all, I appreciate y'all for uh, reaching out. Zach, Hummer, Ryan – what's your last name, Zach? I wanted to mix your names up on purpose. Uh, Coomer. <laughs> Zach, Zach Coomer and Ryan Hummer. No. That's right. Yeah. Uh, seriously, um, I appreciate you guys. This is a very, this is a very overdue conversation that uh, this country needs to have. Um, white America in particular. And it's actually interesting because two weeks ago, I had the I'll say I'm not as a black man in this country. I had the best week that I could that I can remember ever having as an adult black male, and the following week I had the worst one. And it's just simply showing myself and others who've been aware of these issues for a long time. It's showing white America. It's showing everyone, every race, every nationality that if one group of people suffer, we all suffer. And you can only run from it for so long. And, and the longer you run from it, the, the heavier it is when, you, when it catches up to you. And that's what we're seeing right now is that it's a real heavy issue on all of our hearts and our minds. Um, 
it's on our spirits, uh, it's, in, it's in all of our conversations. Meanwhile, if we would have, have had these conversations as we developed as a country, then it wouldn't be a, a, a explosive, such an explosive situation here in 2020. However, hindsight is 2020, here we are and we're here. And for someone who has been talking about these issues as an individual, since I can remember because of how I was raised and who I was raised by, it's almost like I kind of sit on the sideline and wait for someone to call me in. Cause I feel like I've been kind of chipping away at issues like this my entire life. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys reached out. Um, I had an interesting conversation with a, a 65 year old white male who's a millionaire, who has a lot of, a lot of influence here in uh, the Southern California area. He reached out to me because it's one, here's the thing, I didn't realize the energy that I had. Like, I didn't realize that I was the person that white people would want to talk to behind closed doors, off the record. I just felt how I felt and moved how I moved. And, you know, I had this conversation with this individual, we sat for two hours. And he just asked questions and we, and we talked and, and it was the first time that he learned a lot being 65 and knowing everything that he knows about financial management, he learned a lot on Friday. So um, this, is a, this is a great opportunity for us to kind of put the conversation on the table and let's start talking about what we can do to, to make it better. Can I ask you a question? When you, when you first got on, you, you mentioned that you had one of the best weeks you've ever had and followed abruptly by one of the worst weeks you've ever had. Can, can you tell us about the week that was good? And then, you know, the transition, obviously, I think I, we know where it's going to go with the, with the bad week, but, you know, just, I want to know where you're, what, what was going through, what was going through your mind and, and where you were in those two, between those two contrasting situations. Absolutely. So two Sundays ago, I dropped my son off with his mother and um, you know, I have, I have this, actually I had this shirt on. I had uh, some, some black sweats and I had my black ball cap on backwards and I drive a, uh, I guess you could say a, a fancy car. It's not necessarily fancy, but it, it draws attention. It's a, a Hummer. I mean, it's a charger with, uh, with a, a Hemi engine. So it, it's, it's attention drawing when it moves, when it starts up, you can hear it accelerate, so on and so forth. Um, I live a block away from Calabasas. So after I dropped my son off at his mom's, I, you know, I hit the corner. I'm on the phone with my mentor. And I don't want to drive inside my uh, parking garage and lose my phone call. So what I do is I drive on the back end of my apartments, which is a, which is an upper middle class uh, neighborhood. And I park and I have my driver window down. My, my windows aren't tinted anyway, but just because of the breeze and just, you know, not wanting to be stuffy and, uh, being able to park and talk, I rolled my window down. Several families, you know, older white people, two, it was an older white couple, you know, they walked past and they waved. And uh, then the lady came out of her yard, uh, maybe probably like, you know, mid-30s, late-30s, white lady with her son. She's trying to get him in line because he's riding a scooter across the street and she's walking her bike on the other side and she's directing him. She sees me and she waves. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, like a family, like a family, like a, a dad, a mom, a son, like probably 14, 15 years old. And then like a, a younger sibling, a uh, little sister, probably like around my daughter's age, eight or nine. They're all kind of on their skates, bike. Everybody has some type of transportation other than, than walking. 
And, you know, the lady just like really kind of like went out of her way. She might as well have came to my car and shook my hand. She's like, hey, how are you doing? And I made a joke when I got on the elevator because uh, there was another black couple on the elevator. And I was like, yo, this, this is crazy because this is at the height of, of white people starting. Like this is right after Popovich's uh, post. Like I am embarrassed to be a white person. And like this whole thing, that, this whole thing that Popovich said that he's been saying, but he said it at the right time to get the ears. And so I get on the elevator and I'm like, yo, you could you wouldn't believe how white people treated me. Like, like I'm like, like, hi, how are you doing? We're with you. Black Lives Matter, we're with you. And it was just like, it was the first time, and this is where it gets deep. I told my wife, I said, this is the first time I've been out in public as an adult and didn't feel like a threat. Cause there was always this undertone of either fear or they're stereotyping me to make themselves feel comfortable. He, you're, you're in the NBA, right? And I'm like, I'm not. And you, nor do you need to be afraid of me. Being that, as it may, the personality and the energy I move with, it's kind of a like a double dutch, a game of double dutch. You don't know when to say something and not to say something. In reality, I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty cool. And it was just interesting to see. Uh, White people who I've all I've seen every single one of them before never acknowledge me. I don't mind it. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have a, I don't have this thing where you have to speak to me. It was I've seen every single one. The the little girl goes to my my kid's school. Never acknowledged me. Never disrespected me. Don't get me wrong. Never has never said anything or done anything. But it was they never acknowledged me. It was they were hyper aware. So then there was a, hey, let's go out our way. And that was, a, that was a pattern. I just brought up that one incident or that one scenario. Then- So that, that doesn't discourage you or that do, it gives you more hope? Like, how does, how does that make you feel though? Because I can't, to me, that's so disheartening to think, like your experience is that it wasn't the norm mm -hmm. to have neighborly interactions with people of the opposite race. I and that is part of living in a community, a neighborhood, are those small neighborhood interactions where up oh, there's my neighbor give him a wave how are you doing today good to see you that's not a part of your that was not a part of your day-to-day -day? not unless they basketball fans wow not unless they basketball fans i'm six nine i'm walking around i'm 260 pounds we talk hoops if they're not hoops fan they'll i mean i don't want to go too deep into because i want to finish answering your question but uh when i jog up and down that exact same street a month ago three weeks ago five weeks ago People, people cross the street. I got my Cincinnati Bearcat, like, and I'm very conscious. So I got my Bearcat stuff on. Like I went out today to the park with my wife and my kid. And I got my Bearcat stuff on because I'm consciously aware I don't want to be looked at as a threat. And I'm jogging up my street and I got my headphones in, but I continue to have my, my head over my shoulder just for the, the cruiser. I'm walking, I'm jogging past all these houses, these white folks, they out there watering their grass, cutting their lawn. The only guy who speaks to me on my street is an older Asian guy. And every time I run up the street, hey, what's up, Ron? How you doing? White folks, they talking to me. So what's interesting, though, is that this is obviously that that's shifted maybe temporarily, hopefully permanently no, in terms not, of people. Very permanently. Very, very temporarily. Sorry to cut you off. Very temporary because then we follow up with last week. So... So going to last week, before we go on, tell me about last week. First time in my life, I wasn't going to, first time in my life, I wasn't sure what I would do if the police pulled me over. 
criminal justice major before basketball. I would have went into law enforcement or military. My grandfather, my grandfather on my mom's side was in the United States Navy. Have no problem with the military, have no problem with law enforcement. Never have, never will. Never ran from law enforcement, never been in handcuffs, never been fingerprinted other than a background check to work with kids. It was the first time in my life after the situation in Atlanta where we're still the same shit. A uh, guy gets gunned down running away from the cop. Looks a lot like me. George Floyd looks a lot like me. Tamir Rice looks a lot like my son. Sandra Bland looks a lot like my little sister. And uh, then, you know, I'll, recently, I'm not sure you, even, you guys even know, I want to say two nights ago, uh, a teenage, uh, a young adult black male was found hanging from a tree near the courthouse in Palmdale, California. Yes. We don't hang yes. ourselves. I mean, this, 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 you could turn it into a joke. We don't hang ourselves. We don't. Not in this time of period. Not, that's not, I mean, we're going to hurt ourselves. We, you know, we got too many guns around. I mean, and I'm talking about culturally. Culturally, black people are very hyper aware of ropes and, and trees and the symbolic, the sim, sim, symbolism behind it in our culture and our history. So unless this young man, and I'm not media, so I'm not going to not speculate. I'm going to speculate because this is a real life situation happening in real time. Unless this young man had some severe mental issues going on. For him to climb a tree with a rope, tie the rope strategically enough to hold his weight and put it around his neck and jump off that tree and struggle for the 30 to 60 to 90 seconds that it takes for your life to finally go out of your body. Come on, man. Palmdale, California is 45 minutes away from where I live. Just last night, my wife's best friend stays with us. She's on a 405 freeway driving 82 miles an hour in a Honda, two-door Honda Accord. Uh, a brown two-door Honda Accord, 19, no, it's a, it's a 2002 Honda Accord. And uh, there's a car behind her hitting, her, hitting her with the horn. Beep, 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 beep. She's driving 82 on a 405 freeway, right, right uh, north of Sunset, going up into Mahalan, into the hills, where it's really dark, and you got to really be aware of how you drive. I'm not sure if you guys have ever been to L.A. on that road at dark time, nighttime. It was where they had the uh, Mahalan fire a couple years ago where the whole hillside caught on fire and the NBA players were posting it. You know, it's basically the only freeway to get from the Valley to Los Angeles on that north, on that northwest side of the city. Anyway, this, this car goes around her, gets in front of her, slams on, her, on his brakes. She rare, very barely maneuvers away from him to not hit him. And now she's just driving like this guy's a, a jerk. And he pulls up alongside her and shows her a gun and takes off. Why guy? He's got a gun in his car. It's illegal in California. We don't, we're not carrying concealed in Los Angeles County. So he's anticipating something. Only reason we're listening now is because of, because the arrogance, the sinisterness, the evilness to see the phone and know that this is being caught and captured forever. And for this man to have his fucking hand in his pocket. Right. There's no police work being done. And for three other cops to watch, they're more concerned about their job or the badge or, or some type of brotherhood than this man 
eight minutes and 46 seconds. The video is disgusting on every level. And in some ways it helps me wrap my head around uh, it, it allows me to wrap my head around why, like why all of a sudden has the nation grabbed on to this one? Because there's been so many public examples, even over just the last five, six years that you think would have been a breaking point in some work, like in some ways, you know, the first case that resonated for me personally, and this is speaking from someone that this to me encapsulates or demonstrates perfectly the amount of privilege in my life because the Trayvon Martin case was the first time where I thought, holy shit, what, what is going on here? This is obvious. It's you, clear as day. You remember Tamir Rice? Unarmed, you remember, I'm sorry? Tamir Rice situation? I remember Tamir Rice as well. Yeah. Let me tell you how close to home it is to you guys. Tamir Rice was gunned down where? Cleveland. Right. Was that two hours away? About three and a half. Three and a half hours, right, right, right? Short highway trip. Right. Tamir Rice, was, was, he, he, was he even a teenager? No, he was 12. 12 years old, sitting on a swing, toy gun, right? Toy gun? toy gun, BB gun, shot within seconds upon the police arriving. Yeah, and what happened to that cop? He was let go, right? Nothing. No, he was let go. I think there were, there were charges, but he was cleared on all charges. Police department. He's working. Oh, yeah, in terms of being let go, like fired from his job? Yeah. I would suspect he was fired from his yeah, job. He was. But maybe just, he was let go. Yeah, yeah. He is now currently working as a law enforcement agent in Ohio. You guys want to do something, get him out of there. Yep. Do some research and get him out of there. Yeah, that's the end, honestly. Because at the end of the day, he passed a background check twice. After, once after a murder. So you got to ask yourself. He passed a psychological background check, check after he murdered a 12-year-old. The guy who shot, oh, what's this guy's name? I forget the guy's name. That was, and this is this is the sad part. It's not like we're talking about NBA MVPs. Oh, what was the guy's name? And we're talking about black people who have been gunned down by people who are supposed to be protecting these people. You're not, and, and here's where it gets controversial. You're not shooting drug lords. You're not shooting rapists because you're gonna bring the SWAT team for those guys because you know they ready. You're shooting unarmed civilians other than Philandro who actually had paperwork and was with his, his wife and his daughter. So let me, there was, a, there was a young man, Lord forgive me for forgetting his name, when he was shot buying s'mores for his children in either Target or Walmart oh, in Ohio. Yeah. Crawford, that his last cop, name was Crawford. That cop, and I was in Ohio as well. That cop pulled Dave Chappelle over the night before and let him go because he was Dave Chappelle. And if you watch Dave Chappelle's uh, YouTube, Netflix special, it's amazing. He put it out on Friday. It's already got, as of yesterday, it already had 8.7 million views. He says, I shouldn't have to be Dave Chappelle to live. Because that cop, I know who you are, Dave Chappelle. Be careful. The next night he shoots a young man in the store because he's been told Here's, here's the issue right here. There's two reasons why the George Floyd thing hit us. One, we don't have no distractions. See, when those nine cops got killed, and this is Dave Chappelle again, I'm quoting Dave Chappelle again. When those nine cops got killed in Dallas, 
Kobe was scoring 60 points against the Jazz in his last game. That's a hell of a distraction, right? So you don't have to ask yourself, why are nine cops being gunned down? See, this time, coronavirus shut things down. So now everybody's in front of their phone. Everybody's got the TV on. Everybody's got their phone. And then we saw, secondly, we saw a modern-day lynching. We saw people standing around. Now, mind you, thank God that it was caught on camera. But you got to ask yourself. Oh, thank, thank God it was caught on camera. You got to ask wasn't. yourself. Someone held the camera while this man was murdered. Yep. Go both ways. Thank God it was on camera. But the person that's holding the camera is videotaping a murder. It's a modern day lynching. We're watching someone be put to death. If that, but that's a that's the that's the catch, right? I had that same thought after watching after seeing the video. The thought is, well, this made me. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. That cop did this, executed this person with the look on his face and the hand in the pocket, like you said that was communicating the, the idea of being untouchable. Absolutely. I'm not going to be held accountable for this. It's like he knew, gonna, he, he knew what he was doing and he's like, I, I'm going to get away matter. with this. That's what it doesn't matter what happens thinking. to this person. I'm not going to be held accountable at all. I'm doing the right thing. This person was using a counterfeit $20 bill and I'm, and I'm holding them accountable to it. That's the look he's communicating on his face. The devastating part of this is that without that video, because I'm watching it thinking, are we hitting the point where people, the, the people of the United States need to see these instances and stop right. recording them. And instead of recording them, do something fighting back, do something about it because there's four, who else are you going to call? That's tough. My wife's, my wife's not from this country. And she asked me about calling the police on the police and it's her, it's her foray into you. What do you do? There were three other cops on the scene already. The it. owner of the, the restaurant outside where George Floyd was murdered actually was like that's something he asked so he said someone call the police on the police that was a quote at the time i'm not gonna do nothing here's the thing without gonna the video without the video there are no charges yeah there are no the protests video, it's another it's another case of cops saying he was resisting arrest absolutely. and justifying a murder absolutely and so here's where we are in the country now where it's going to take a lot of voices and here's where it's going to take a lot of voices and a lot of focus and a lot of time and, and some, some consistency. And it's going to take us moving on all fronts, small, big, micro, macro, whatever you want to call it, sports, entertainment, finances, tech, um, big businesses, small business, like everybody has to speak up. Or in, I'll take that back. Everybody has to do something. So, it could be even as small as you guys just using your pool to get that cop out of Ohio law enforcement. Showing that we will no longer watch, hear, know about, be complicit to, be distracted or compliant to our fellow countrymen being terrorized, period. And that's what's happening. We're being terrorized. We are living in fear. And certain people have fear of flight. They do different things when they're, they're afraid. We are living in constant isolation, spiritually and emotionally, because we walk around this country feeling like no one understands. No one's listening. We were telling you in the early 90s, in the early 80s, in the early 70s, 
Ali was telling you when he didn't want to go fight the Vietnam War. It wasn't about the country. You treat me like dirt, and then I'm supposed to go over and fight your battle? It wasn't about fighting for his country. It was about how he was being treated by the people who said, hey, I need a favor. No one would do someone a favor who treats them like dirt. However, we didn't want it to be about that. We wanted to make it a black or white thing. Let's strip the champ of his, his actual platform and then incarcerate him. Right. We have to stop. We have to stop being on the we, wrong side of history. Now, once again, here we are. And here's the thing. If you don't know history, it'll repeat itself. Once again, here we are. How long did Ali sit out? Four years. How long has Kaepernick been out? Going on four. So now you see a pattern. We see we, we're right here again with Kyrie Irving. We're right here again. Like we're literally right here again where they're, they are taking what Kyrie's saying. He's 100% right. Now is not the time for a distraction. Yet, we, in a month, we're going to be all talking about training camp. We're going to be all talking about how the Clippers and the Lakers are going to meet up in the West Finals. We're going to be all talking about how the NBA left out eight teams and how those eight teams need to be focused on draft picks. We're going to be all talking about the class of 2020. Everybody's in, in California is going to be talking about Jalen Green over here at the new G League Pathway Program. Meanwhile, Jalen Green can still be gunned down. Meanwhile, LeBron still gets nigger put on his fence. Meanwhile, it's still going on. Let's distract. Pain hurts, but it hurts for a reason. Because it needs to be healed. This country has never healed from its initial wounds of bringing people over here and doing what they did to these people, stripping them not only of their culture, but their language, their religion, their family, their heritage. And not freeing people for three years once there was a document put in place. That's what Juneteenth is about. Three years, going on three years, slaves were free in Texas and didn't know it. The military had to come in and say, you guys know you're free. Right after the last slave was free, they immediately put a law in saying, if you're a felon, you got to go work for free again. Meanwhile, you hear us a hundred and some change years later saying the criminal justice system is the slave trade. And we're telling you, but we're not listening because we, we care more about who's scoring touchdowns. We care more about who's, who's breaking records. Don't get me wrong. You're talking to a basketball player, former basketball player, now coach. I'm not saying that the game is not needed. I'm saying right now is the time for us to heal. I just think so, there's so many good points you're making. I want to make sure we're touching on them all. And I, I mentioned it earlier, the perspective that Ryan and I offer are obviously going to be so much different, but you're hitting on a big point here, which is that the black community, black people across the country have been telling white people, the institutions of power, they've been telling people the problem forever. I mean, honestly, there's, this is not a new issue. I mentioned before, the recordings have a great deal to do with bringing more awareness to it. It's, it's me. It's Hummer. It's the people who have been benefiting from systems of, of white supremacy, essentially, forever. Not, not to supremacy. speak up and say we need to overhaul the entire system, though. We need to actually rethink how all of these institutions are operating if it's operating with such... Look, there's, there's just no accountability on, at the level of police 
and it but that's not the place to even stop no it's not even a place to start it's, really it's, it's deeper it's ingrained, not even the it's place deeper to ingrained start. in that we were talking about this before we we got you on with systemic racism and then implicit bias you know the fact that we're, we're one of the topics we were discussing is why like when we're thinking about this from a fundamental level why is it that where i grew up and where where my parents live why why is that public school maybe better funded than the one right next door where other people where black boy americans are living is different why aren't we why isn't that being rethought about how we're distributing these resources in order to bring everybody up because you know in all in all by holding one population back it damages all of society all of society is hurt when you hold one pe one group of people back everybody if you if you empower the entire population we are better off as a whole than sitting there and and, and and keeping doing what we're doing this is only going to drive the wedge further in this country we need this is why i'm so happy you decided to join us because you know these are these are hard conversations to have but they shouldn't be hard this should be something that we're able to talk about and and really and come together as a community and, and find ways to make us better as a whole and i'm, I'm really happy that you decided to join us absolutely see where you know, my, my teachings have have started at an early age about leverage strategy of being who I am in this country as a male, a black male. Uh, so it's a little easier for me. You might have a, a more of a difficult time getting a conversation out of someone else who's not as prepared as I am for these conversations. I'm not saying I'm the most prepared. I'm just saying I live my life with this in my heart all day, every day, since I can remember. I mean, you're talking to the guy who watched Roots at eight. Probably not the movie. I got an eight-year-old. She's probably not going to watch Roots right now. But it was embedded in me what was going on before I even hit the hit, before I even got a driver's license. You know, when, when I'm walking up the street, I'm aware. My friends are unaware. I'm aware. Yo, they just hit a U-turn, y'all. Who? You about to see. Woo -woo. <laughs> And now we're lined up on the wall and they're treating us like adults when we're, we're kids. So there's not to say that there is an expectation of it to be okay. There's some type of threshold that you get used to. Um, let's talk about the military real quick because we talk about how we can, I just want to throw this in here real quick. And, you know, I've been educating a lot of folks lately because now people are asking and listening. I'm not saying I got all the answers guys. I'm just, I have more than most. You have a, and you have, and you have a perspective, right? Absolutely. Like Absolutely. you have a valuable perspective. So, you know, I got into this conversation with someone about military. And I said, do you know who the first person to die for this country was? And they were like, George Washington, you know, just saying stuff. I said, Christmas addicts. Christmas addicts was the first person to die for this country. It's a black man. But why wasn't I ever taught that? Now you're asking the right questions. Ramona Shelburne is a very, very influential media personality out here in, in Los Angeles, ESPN Sports Center. She graduated from Stanford. You know what she studied? At school? No, what she studied? She studied American history. You know what her postgrad was? U.S. history. You know, she did not know of the Tulsa, Oklahoma City bombing in 1921. She had no clue so, that date existed. She yeah, knows. I didn't. I did not know it existed until I watched the show Watchmen on HBO. So here, I got my American history lesson from a superhero show. So and here's why, and that's exactly what she said, and the host said. Here's here's why, that's that. 
here's what I know that now I can share with you guys and you guys, it'll hit, it'll hit home. You guys aren't benefiting from race, uh, white supremacy. You guys are benefiting from white privilege. Who's the child of white supremacy. You guys aren't racist. That's the, that's the brilliant plan. I'm going to have people benefit off of my sinister thinking that look like me unknowingly. So you're complicit without knowing you're complicit. You can look at your favorite sport and see that the NBA, and I'm assuming your favorite sport is basketball, and say that the NBA, right, is 70 plus percent African, Black American, whatever you want to call it. Yet, out of 30 owners, one black man is a majority owner, not even a full, but a majority. And you can totally miss the numbers and like, hold up, are black people just naturally bad at business? To where we can't put ourselves in a position to buy an NBA team. Lord knows we don't like playing basketball. Lord knows we hate basketball, so why would we ever want to own a team? Or is it something else? Now you start to see it unfold like, ah, oh, here's why Django can be made in Hollywood and Leonardo DiCaprio can say nigga 144 times. But if I say nigga on a coaching staff, not only am I reprimanded, but probably fired. Yet white people say, hey, I don't, I am offended by the N-word. If you offended by the N-word, you couldn't be black for 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and it's an insult for people to continue to make black people like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, W.E.B. Du Bois, the first Surgeon General, the first black Surgeon General, Colin Powell, correct me if I'm wrong, Condoleezza Rice, every single black person in this country that's been saying for, hey, breaking down the doors, breaking down the doors, knocking on the doors, civil rights. Michael Che, a brilliant comedian, Michael Che says, we were fighting for civil rights. Turn off the water hose and get your dog so I can walk down the street. Not, hey, can I vote? Hey, can I date your daughter? Hey, can I come to your school? There was a little girl, Brown versus Board of Education. She just wanted to go to school. She was spat on by adult teachers. This is not new. And this is the, fr this is the frustrating and at the same time funny. It's funny that not you guys, everyone, black, white, old, young, it's like, Either we're, either we're blind or we're stupid to have all of these details lining up in front of our eyes and then we need George Floyd. Rodney King got his ass whooped by six cops and they walked and the narrative was, why are y'all burning down y'all stuff? First of all, it's not our stuff because a large part of our community, the businesses are not owned by blacks. It's owned by, at that time, it was owned by Koreans. And two weeks prior, a few weeks prior to Rodney King, a young woman, a young teenage girl named Latoya Thomas, 
walked into a store, put some orange juice in her backpack, went in her backpack to pay for it, and got blew away by the lady who owned the store. That lady was Korean. Miss Thomas was black. That lady did no jail time. We burned down her shit. We're not burning down our own shit because we don't own shit. You didn't see no fires at any of our schools. We didn't burn down where our kids got to go to school. We didn't burn down apartment building next to us. It was a, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they had a gun line right on the borderline of West Los Angeles. So the second we thought we was going into Marina Del Rey, Playa Del Rey, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, they had snipers on the roof of Rouse. Eight years old, I'll never forget, I seen a sniper on the top of the Rouse. Not someone out there saying, hey, you guys peacefully protest. Nah. Oh, y'all want to do it that way? And here's why, and here's why as, a, as an intelligent black man who's been brought up by intelligent black men that are strategic about how we live, we can't fight a certain way. We don't have enough bodies, guns, and ammunition to fight that way. So it won't be a civil war. So don't worry, guys. They're just going to start exterminating us and hanging us out of, outside of courthouses. It won't be a civil war. You'll have a couple of us fight back. Eric Darner, 400 cops showed up at his cabin and murk him. That's, so we're not going to go that way because we're too peaceful of a people. But we get criticized when we protest. We get criticized when it's peaceful. We get criticized when we quiet. We get criticized when we loud. We get criticized when we talk. So at some point, at some point, it's going, it's going, enough is going to be enough. So it's not that you guys are benefiting from white supremacy. You guys are benefiting from white privilege to being able to not see white supremacy, not to see what the Confederate flag means to a black man in this country. Forget the fact, okay, let's just forget race. Let's just talk about sports. The, the 2015 Golden State Warriors can't be like, we number two, we number two, and be respected. You can't put no banner up in the stand and say runner up. Only only Xavier fans can do that. Who? Only Xavier fans can do that. And that's some craziness. <laughs> but my point is so if you if the Confederacy lost and we're still celebrating generals in colleges with statues, that should tell you something. Why are we celebrating losers? So we 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 talked about that. So before we we had you on, we we were actually having this discussion between us and we were talking about cuz NASCAR with their decision Finally, I mean, it should have happened years ago, but you know, I was saying better late than never because of the fan base that they appeal to. Yeah, you know, by saying, you know what, we're actually going to recognize that the Confederate flag is not a symbol is a symbol of Southern pride. That is not what it is. All right, that's the same thing as saying the Nazi flag is is the you know the the German pride. That's not what it is. It is a symbol of racism, and it has always been that way. And just because maybe a small minority of people, in this particular case, a small minority of white people may view that as a, a symbol of Southern pride, no, I'm sorry, you get trumped because that is not what it is. It is a symbol of hatred. It is a symbol that you use to look and glorify a day gone past of that you may view as better than what the current day is, which that's not the case. That, that's so, you know, by, I think that, that's what we're looking to do and one of the reasons why we wanted to have this conversation is, is we're looking for ways to be allies. We want to know, you know, what it is we're doing day in and day out to make this a better world. We're, we're wanting to, 
you know, I, you were mentioning when we first got into this conversation and I asked you about that, that worst, the best week, mm-hmm. you know, followed by the worst week. And you were talking about, you know, you're in the neighborhood and people are saying hi and, and people are, are, are making you feel safe and, and comfortable. And, and I'm not going to lie. I felt the, the need to do that too. And I've been trying, that's something that I, consciously that I want to continue doing because I want to treat everybody in my neighborhood the exact same. Like, you- I want to get rid of the implicit bias in my own life that maybe that I've grown up in and not have noticed that I had. So that's something I'm trying to do now. I'm not even going to try and do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. Everybody that comes to my neighborhood, I'm just going to wave and say hi. I'm going to give you a hi. cheat sheet. How you doing? <laughs> I'm going to give you a cheat sheet, guys. I'm about to give you a cheat sheet. Like I said, I don't know it all, but I know this. You want to know how to act? Here's my saying. I wish, and I get this from Jalen Rose, so I don't want to, I want to make sure you know I'm quoting someone, but I agree with him so wholeheartedly that I have to say it like it's my idea. I wish not just white people, all of America. I wish that all of America loved black people the way they love our culture. Nice. Yep. See, cause you can wear cornrows. You can wear the baggy pants. You can put the black sock socks on like the fat five. You can rap nigga when you with your white friends, but you don't want to be a nigga when the police pull you over. You want to rap, you want to act. You want to play, you want to hoop, you want to jump. Even some people even go as far as making their body parts look like ours. You want to go blackface. You want to go blackface? Care about us as much as you care about having the freedom to go blackface without being tore down. That's what we want. If you care so much about us, show us the love that you show our culture. That's what you want. Because I remember when I was a kid having my hat on backwards was a black thing. And I'm like, how the fuck is it back? I just don't want the visor in my eyes. Like, it was just like, I see baseball pitch uh, catchers. They turn their hat backward. I'm, what's, he was so crazy about it. I got harassed by a cop at 14 years old because he was like, hey, turn your hat around. You ain't no thug. I said, I'm not, I didn't say I was a thug. Well, why you got your hat on backwards? Because my favorite player is Mike Piazza. And he was a catcher, and they wore their hats backwards. So when he would take his mask off and try to throw somebody out, I'm like, ooh, that's dope. I want my, I want to see the snapback over. and then. The, but my point is, because there's such deep-rooted hate, you forget that we fucking do. Yep. You forget that yeah. we have now wearing a hat backwards, and I'm now I'm wearing my hat backwards, and I'm just, I'm just a bro. You feel what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but you know, bro is short for brother. Brother was used to be a terminology that black people use to each other to kind of navigate around the word nigga. So we we didn't always want to call each other that because there's an older generation that looks at that word as still as what it originally was, coming from the white slave master to the black slave. So as out of respect, I don't say that word around certain people in my family, my mentors, they don't want to hear that shit. And I respect that. But, and honestly, you can't call me that unless you are that to me. You didn't grow up doing what we did, playing, hooping, running, playing, being silly, crazy, you know, diving on the ground. We heard tot, 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 going to house parties, hanging out. You can't call me that because I hold myself with a little more respect than I used to when I was younger. But you ain't gonna tell me I can't say the word, all that shit that my people been through. And you telling me that the freedom of language is gone? That's another white privilege thing. Whereas like, you don't get to control that. You might want to, 
I might, as much as I want to, in my household, I'm the leader. But I can't control everything my daughter or my wife or my son does. I just got to hope that I'm giving them enough leadership to where they make positive, safe decisions when I'm not around. I can't be on the phone all day. Hey, what you doing? Hey, be careful in that kitchen. Hey, you know, make sure the knives is put up from the kids because we don't. No, I have to teach as I go and, and pray that things are, you know, kind of in some type of organization and safety measurements that I, I put forth as the leader. My point is with this country, what happens is this country has been able to make trillions of dollars off of black culture. And when I say black culture, there is no debating. We're talking about facts. We're talking about going back to Afros. Culture, but also just work. Culture. Facts, like the manual labor, but all, yeah, I know, and I know what you're saying. There's, I'm a just running, saying. there's a running joke that Mexicans work harder than black people. Every time somebody say that, I say, you crazy? I'm not saying that they don't, but that joke ain't funny to me because I know too much history. Oh, you know, uh, Mexican to work for really or nothing, and black people don't like the word. You crazy? We built this country and didn't get a dime for it. Who you think built the White House? I ain't seen no motherfuckers with no blueprints. Who you think worked the plantations? Who you think filled it and designed so that tractors can actually go through plantations without crushing the crop? Oh, history. So I know too much about history to be, to, my daughter said it today. She said, I'm watching a show. She's eight, so I have to teach her. I'm watching a show about black history. I said, well, we're getting to a point where, baby, we're going to eventually not even call it black history. We're going to call it American history. Because that's what it is. See, there's that, that's that white supremacy. Now, that's white supremacy. That's a great point. That's the whitewashing of our history. It's exactly right. That's why the textbooks frame things the way they do. That's why we don't see events like the Tulsa massacre emphasized. Those, those are the ugly realities of America that we have to find a way to reconcile if we are, in fact, going to move forward. It's called historical so segregation. It, that is a, that is a real terminology. Historical segregation makes certain people feel like they're not a part of history. And Black people have been dealing with this for a very long time. Here's why we're so lost in our culture, is because we don't see ourselves in TV shows. We don't see ourselves in history books. We don't see ourselves, like you go look at a show, you telling me that I Love Lucy were no Black people that wanted to be funny. You telling me Andy Griffith show were no Black people that wanted to be funny. You telling me the Brady Bunch, they ain't have no black friends. This is deep, y'all. This is deep. It's, it's deep, but the times, it seems like companies, business, governments, they only change once the dollars dictate the change. Facts. The NFL, four years ago, blackballed a quarterback because he protested police brutality and violence during the national anthem. The conversation was consistently changed. He never got hired again. A mere four years later, the NFL released a statement one day after players united together, launched a video that said, hey, you need to make it right. Come out, say, say you were wrong, say Black Lives Matter, say you need to do something about police brutality. Boom, they did it because the people are demanding it. There's a huge unified front right now across the entire country. Every city across America basically is having Black Lives Matter protests. And they have to continue, and they have to continue relentlessly. And that goes hand in hand with your point about Kyrie Irving and, and, his, and his feelings that they likely should not play basketball this season. But do you, and that could probably... 
Did you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but did you see, did you see Wojnowski's, a very, a very influential media personality? Yeah, I followed, so I follow Chris Haynes and I follow Wojnowski and I saw that there was two very different ways they were communicating that Kyrie message. Did you see what Woj titled it? No, what he titled the it? The Disruptor. Yep. So they're already, I'm, they're t I'm telling you, they're telling us this last contract for Kyrie, they're, they're setting, yeah, they're they're trying to put him in that. They're they're basically the media is painting him into a corner to be that. To basically, be the guy, the the Kaepernick who gets kind of pushed out into the side because you are a disruptor. You're not someone that we want on the team because you are a bad locker room guy. Because you what know, Kyrie, and, that, and that's some and that's some bullshit. They already because set you up. They already said you. They, they softening you up. So when they do it, it's almost like it, the analogy that I use is is uh, a boxer. I'm throwing that jab because I don't want to land it in the first four or five rounds. I'm just seeing how you react to it. And once I see how you react to it, here comes the overhand right. Once I got you so used to that weak ass jab I'm throwing. So they're throwing little fillers out there, the disruptor. No one says anything. Oh, okay. Kyrie's trying to take down the lead. Oh, no one says anything. Okay. And eventually that sec, that next contract that comes up, then they, they definitely want to have a player come out and say the total opposite of it. I'm telling you, if history is not known, it will repeat itself. Let me go back to you for you guys real quick. And I, I hear you, I hear you. Can, can I follow up one thing on the Kyrie topic? Because I actually want to talk about the substance of his protest, right? And the idea that they should not play basketball. There's bigger issues at hand here. And there's some people that have said, well, that if the players unite, they can play basketball and do a unified protest all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. There's no way that protest would be as effective as the protest of, nope, we're not playing basketball. Here's, here's, nope, here's where we're I demanding change. And then you take it to the NFL, you take it to college players, you, you get a trickle-down effect of this big moment where the NBA players will willingly be sacrificing millions of dollars. Yep. They're not going to get paid for this season. It's going to tear up their collective bargaining agreement. Yep. They're going to have to renegotiate, yep. and they're going yeah. to lose money. But you're willing to sacrifice the money, and you're hurting the owners, and you're bringing true attention to society at that point based on real, true action. So while I was initially taken aback by Kyrie's statement because I love basketball and I cringe at the thought of not having any NBA for a long period of time, the more I think about it, it's the right call. The it's, right call is to not play, keep the momentum going, and build upon it with an even bigger statement. It's the right call because we were talking – you mentioned this earlier too, Alan. Distractions. Distractions. All of a sudden, NBA comes back. All right, all of a sudden, we're, we're looking forward to the Clippers-Lakers in, in the Western Conference Finals. We're looking forward to seeing who's, who's going to win this year's – you know, because when you're looking at how they were actually describing how the end of the season looks, Cooper and I were talking about this, that sounds awesome. Basically, let's take this playoff format and as teams are getting eliminated, have them stop playing. Let's have a, a basically a dynamic finish to the, every season. So now it gives us distractions. We stop talking about what's important again. Now you get the Kyrie distraction conversation is, is, is why. So it does make a good – and look how fast – look at the NBA's influence. They were the first sports league when COVID hit to say, we're done. And as soon as they said, we're done, every other sports league followed. Everything shut down. They were the leaders in that. And they have the opportunity now to continue to be the leaders in a movement. And they can do it in such a big way because we all want 
sorry, I want to say all of it, but if you're a basketball fan, you obviously want basketball. We all you want to watch some basketball. And if you don't get it, you're going to pay attention to the message of why they're not playing. All right, we need change. We need systematic change because this is what's best for everybody. We all want it, man. We, we all want basketball. We, you know, I love basketball. You know, me being in the assistant coaches program has been one of the best things in my career. But I can't be in the assistant coaches program when I'm out living my life and I got to look over my shoulder, you know, I, I'm, I, I was able to graduate from, you know, being around violence growing up to putting my kids in a, a safer environment to now only graduate to an environment where I have to have this conversation with my son and my daughter about how to conduct themselves when, when and if they're in a car and the police are, 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 aware around my son is 10 years old but he looks 13 so how do I know that he's not going to be in the back seat of his stepfather's truck and his stepfather gets pulled over and I'm nowhere to be found right because I'm coaching a basketball game and his stepfather gets pulled over and my son reaches down to pick up his toy and the police officer draws out on my son because he thinks he's going for a gun this is real y'all and it's not that we're saying we don't want basketball it's not that we're saying hey let's punish someone we're saying that our people are being terrorized and history shows us how to get change in these scenarios. I'm going to mention two situations and I know I keep going back to history, but to me personally, as a basketball coach, that's the best way to prepare your team is to look at the history of us playing this team. Look what we did when we won, look what we did when we lost. And so we've lost this battle before, but we also won this battle before. I feel like we lost the Kaepernick battle because the NFL players continue to move on as work as normal. And they missed that window to support their brother who was not protesting the flag nor the, the, the song, which I can make a strong debate for if he was, but he wasn't. Okay, and no one will. No one feels comfortable kneeling during the national anthem if you're gonna make it about that. No, heck no, because like I said, forget white America. My grandfather fought for this country in the Navy. My, my auntie, my youngest auntie on my mom's side was in the, the army for 19 and a half years. So I'm not gonna disrespect those people. I think white America and Drew Brees people forgot that my people were next to your people in World War II. My people was next to your people in Vietnam War. The difference is when we got the difference yeah. is when we got back, we were still niggas. And we actually in World War One and Two sat behind the POWs. Because we were looked at as less than than prisoners. See, it's history, y'all. So history, Rosa Parks did what she did, went to jail. And things changed. Things didn't change because Rosa Parks said, hey, things should change. We boycotted for a whole year. No one did public transportation. We did not boycott public transportation. We boycotted something that would make them pay attention to why we're upset. So when you boycott, the first thing that the police department did to the 49ers, when Kaepernick continued to kneel and the 49ers refused to discipline him, they said, we're going to pull our officers from your games. That's a boycott. They, we have been shown how to get something done. We've been shown. If all of the, U, an example, if all of the UC players came out tomorrow and said, we're not playing until that officer is convicted, 
people in Cincinnati would give a damn now because they're missing what they want to see. So now they're going to pay attention. And my point is, that's how you win battles, whether it be with your spouse or at your job. The union is created to make sure that the employer is not too powerful. And if you are too powerful, we will boycott and protest. This is how our country works. Well, that's where I think that Kyrie, I think that's where like Kyrie's, I think that's Kyrie's point. He's saying, look, if we want to keep the message going and we want to create change, us as NBA players have the power. And that power is let's not play basketball and, and let's make a real conversation happen. You know, I think that's, I think that's his whole point. Well, and what, what you're describing, Ronald, is, is simple, is that the power has always been in the, in the people. It's the power of numbers. We control everything, but the, the controlling powers, right. the, the forces of that, that are running co- big corporations and government and, and any sort of organization, they want you to believe you can't seize control. Absolutely. So they do everything in their power to destroy a Colin Kaepernick because yeah. if more players did what he did, and stopped playing football and took a knee. They're afraid, A, that our business, that our customers are gonna be hurt, they're gonna walk away from the sport, but what they're really afraid of is the uprising of the people who are actually participants in the economy. The NFL, sure, they're millionaires, they make a lot more money than the average Joe. The average Joe has that type of control within their own organization. So it's really people like Kyrie, Kaepernick, they're advocating for seizing the own power, their own power that they have. And and, and let's let's the power of the working class. Let's clear this up. Because I, I feel like this narrative, Kyrie nor myself and any individual like myself, we can't have empty basketball games. If we're going to go out there and coach, develop, play, whatever, we can't have empty games. What I mean by empty games is this world is changing. Things are happening. We can't go out there and make it about basketball. We got to make it about freedom, about liberty, about a resolution, about unity, about love. And this is what Kyrie's saying. If we're not going to go out here and do it the right way, y'all, we should, we are going to be a distraction. So if someone thinks they're going to turn into the NBA game and not see this message being pushed forward, they're wrong. Or are they right? So it's not so much as let's stop playing. It's like, let's refocus, guys. Let's make sure that we go in to a situation where we're not blinded by, well, can the older coaches coach because of the COVID or can the younger coaches, are they going to, like, what's the big issue? The big issue is, is that I'm here being able to play this game of basketball because of individuals who've come before me, the Jackie Robinsons. And I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't remember the Bill Russells the Wilt Chamberlains, guys who, guys who couldn't even stay in the same hotel as their white yeah. teammates, the but Oscar were Robertsons. all-stars, like Oscar Robinson, but were all-stars. And I'm going to be honest with you, every single one of those white teammates that I had that, were, that was okay with me having to stay in another, you're not my teammate. You're not my real, my real brother, because you see me going through something that is not what should be happening. The same way you would run in and either break the fight up or jump in the fight, depends on what type of person you are, but you better be running to the fight. 
You ain't got to fight. Everybody not a fighter. I get it. But you better be running to make sure I don't get hurt. You better be running to break it up. Hey, man, I got friends. I got friends who've been, been in situations before. Like, hey, man, he'll kick your ass. Hold on. And push, push their friend away because, but you were there to help. And that's the point of what we're doing now. And I think what more people need to start thinking about doing, just join the fight. Join the fight. And if you find your fight, role within the fight and join the damn fight. If you don't want to fight, make sure nobody is pushing and punching on me. If you don't want me to fight, if you really care about me, if you truly say, I love black people the way I love black culture, then, then this ain't an issue. Because I guarantee you, you would be, if I told you to right now, y'all couldn't cover no more black players and y'all can't listen to no more rap music. That exclusion, you'd boycott and protest me like a mug on this Zoom call. Hey, you can't tell us what the, are you out there? And I, you right, my fault. So why can't we stand up for each other like that and be like, you shouldn't have pulled him over. He didn't I'm do sure that wrong. We would quickly pivot to having Jim Nance voices and talking about golf, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, but it's well, the thing. It's the love that you got. It's the love that you got that won't let you turn your back. When when we started this podcast, we we actually told we told ourselves like you know we don't want to get caught up in, in anything like political or anything. This is the probably the only topic that without a question there was no doubt in our minds that we were going to hit this. We're we're not going to shy away from this. And if you know what, if it makes people uncomfortable, good because that's what our job is. That's our role in this is to make people have these uncomfortable conversations and confront what's going on because that's the only way we're going to get change. It's the only way we're going to get change. If you're not talking about it, nothing's going to change. Everybody needs to be having these conversations. And, and that's just, that's the, that's, that's the gist of it. You got to have them. All right, Ronald. So I'm going to do my best here to kind of wrap this up, but tie it into the university of Cincinnati a little bit. And it's what made me think of you originally when, when, we, when I knew we were going to go into this topic and then I knew we were going to try and bring it back to the University of Cincinnati, one way to do that was the Marge Shot Stadium and the fact that the university needs to immediately rename that stadium and pull her name off of it. Not complicated. The second way, though, was is the era of Bob Huggins basketball. Mm -hmm. And that's because when I, when I think about following UC basketball as a kid to, and then becoming a young adult – the perception of the UC teams was obviously toughness. And as a fan of UC, we love our toughness. We love the perception of being, you know, the toughest basketball team in the country. We had uh, just these black and red uniforms, incredibly intimidating, strong players. Huggins loved emphasizing, you know, how much guys could bench press, uh, how strong we were, our defensive force. All of those things played into it. But when you looked at, looked at how fans across the country talked about Huggins teams and the language used to talk about Huggins teams, hugs, thugs. And it was a very intentional language in my opinion. And honestly, to me, it reflects the type of coded racism that's been used for years to talk about certain types of athletes and players. And, and you joined, you see, not under Huggins, right. but you were just after that era of basketball and you're still attached to the university, right? You're a graduate of the University of Cincinnati. Proud graduate. A proud graduate, exactly. There is a certain perception, I think, of, I know from a fan base perspective, maybe you can share some insight as a former player, but just that how they were perceived and how they were talked about by different fan bases. Oh, uh, well, I've actually, I can only speak for myself. I can only speak for myself. 
when it comes to how I've been perceived coming from Cincinnati. And it's that less of the, the it's less of the intimidating, more of the lower expectations, not very intelligent. Because for whatever reason, there was a, people were accustomed to feeling like people who went through Cincinnati's program were programmed a certain way to think and they couldn't think. They would talk, they would act, they would do, but they weren't thinkers. Not only could that not be further from the truth, however, perception is reality to a lot of people. The racism that comes with it in my eyes is everything that you mentioned about the uniforms and about our size and our ability to bench press and, you know, how we would, you know, intimidate our opponents in warm-ups or whatever that may be, you know, cut off shirts under our jerseys to make our muscles, our shoulders look bigger, or doing push-ups before we went out for warm-ups, that'll get you shot in the streets. And what do you mean by that? And that's where it's disheartening because we're told to do that on the court to compete, yep. but we're told to do the total opposite in real life to stay alive. And so whether it be you getting pulled over or whether it be a domestic call or whether it be you selling loose cigarettes, whether it be you have a counterfeit 20, whether it be you popping off at the mouth, whether it be you having a toy gun. It's not the hoodie. It's not the muscles. It's not the size. It's not the verbiage. It's the color of your skin that makes me look at you, say things to you that I wouldn't normally say or things that I wouldn't normally do. And those comments were able to live because secretly people agreed because tattoos on a biker is a statement if he's white. But tattoos on a black basketball player means he's going to rob a bank or he's a part of a gang. And these narratives live deep in our subconscious. So then when we have a player, and I'm going to jump over a little bit, then jump back. Then when we have a player like Allen Iverson, who epitomized black culture continually be told that the only reason he was able to do so is because he can score so many points. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, my high school coach comes in with a rule book, basically stating everything from my, my Afro to my braids, to my, my headband, to my high socks, to the way I wear my sweats, Mandating that I look a certain way. You got to wear collar shirts and a, and a, and a, a, a tie to the game. And he didn't understand that my mom couldn't afford a collar shirt or a tie because of her government assistance, given the position she was in having three kids, raising them by herself. So here's this. Once again, we go back to history and knowledge. 
if you know Kenyon, you know he's not a thug, but you don't know him so you get to talk about him a certain way. If you knew Nick, you'd know he was an amazing person with a huge heart, but you don't know him so you get to talk about him a certain way. If you knew Corey and you knew Terry Nelson, you know that one should be a preacher. T. Nelson should be a preacher and Corey should be a mentor, mentor for any young man and that we all make mistakes and that Bob Huggins was willing the same way Texas Tech, or is it Texas Tech or Texas A&M? Glory Road, what school was that? Which one? Uh, Glory Road was, I think it's a school that doesn't technically exist, Texas State. Okay, the uh, same way that coach was willing to give young black men who he saw being treated a certain way, he figured I could give you a shot at, a, at some type of normalcy because of the way you play basketball. Because I'm a big believer, if you're a racist, you can't have this conversation. If you're a racist, you can't have a locker room full of guys and coach those guys and teach those guys to coach them up. You might have some racial bias. You might have some racial ignorance that stems from racism that you probably were taught but you didn't agree with. But these things are how hugs, thugs can be perceived because you don't know me. And you get to think a certain way because you don't know me. But the assumptions being made because he's bringing in players that are from certain demographics, absolutely, largely black, and then I get junior college transfers, folks who may have yep. folks who may have, may have struggled with academics at one point in their life, right? Because they're coming in with a different type of background. Yeah, folks felt completely safe and empowered to say hugs thugs because i mean it's just it's incredibly derogatory you wouldn't hear it in 2020 i'm certain of it but that's that's how that's how differently like things move quickly i guess is what i'm saying yeah but it's also not very far away either because it's just 15, but it's also years. why we only have one former bearcat in the nba and guess and, and I'll, let's be in terms of front in terms of front office roles in terms of leadership See, okay. I, the wording is a little tricky. You know, the leadership is, it's, it's like, okay, NBA, any, NBA, any NBA franchise is a Fortune 500 company. If you're making decisions for a Fortune 500 company, you're considered leadership. Whether you're a doctor, coach, GM, you're in upper management of a Fortune 500 company. So you could be considered a leader because you you have a staff. A coach has a staff of people who he's responsible for. It takes an intelligent person to make that move a certain way. So as far as management goes, front office work, and, and uh, forget which one of you guys, but one of you guys brought it to my attention that we only have one former Bearcat. Yeah, it's well, I know of Pete Michael being pretty high in the Wizards organization. What Pete Michael look? What, what Pete Michael look like? <sighs> well, I mean. You can make me describe Pete Michael. He's about six five, black, goatee. You see what I'm saying? One at a time. And that's what we deal with. This is why black coaches shave our facial hair to assimilate. This is why black coaches are uncomfortable when they're in a room full of general managers and 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 owners' kids. So I don't want to say anything that's gonna play into the stereotype. I mean, we're constantly Ironically living. enough, if you if you Google Pete Michael, uh, out of the first 15 photos that show up, only five of them are actually Pete Michael. 
Um, the rest of them are Pete Maravich, mm-hmm. a white basketball player. Right. Pete Maravich, pistol. Sorry, just, um, just had to point that out when you actually do good at Google search. Absolutely. No, I we we talked about it a little bit after our official podcast, Ron. You know, it's interesting to see how we've had such an important impact on college basketball since Huggins coached in the late eighties until 2005 and then Mick Cronin for 13 years. We've had, we have a track record. We have had incredible success yet. You brought it to my attention and then maybe I confirmed it. I basically said, ah, there's that one guy who's in a role in the front office. There's just, it's guys who likely want to be in those positions, but aren't. And it is very curious that they can't get there. And I can't help but think, you know, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast. Uh, it's one of the most popular sports podcasts out there. He's doing a redraftables about the 2006 or seven draft. I can't remember which. Uh, and they're discussing the, the GMs at the time and how one team had a former player. And then the, there's this new renaissance of guys like Sam Presti and Daryl Morey. You know, basically nerds uh, coming in from MIT and other advanced universities to come in and run an NBA franchise. And he made a comment that's pretty telling on that podcast where he said, would you rather have a smart guy or a former player? As if those two things are mutually exclusive. As if a former player can't be a smart guy who's smart enough to run a team. Are you familiar, with, that dog, meant- are you familiar with a dog whistle terminology? Is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's dog- what, I mean, that's Hugs Thugs. Hugs, Hugs Thugs was a version of a dog whistle. Okay, so former player is a dog whistle also. You make up 78% of the league. Mm-hmm. And when you say he's a, he's a former player, Percentages are you talking about without me saying he's black. Now, mind you, what I'm saying right here probably will probably will, if it's seen in the light of day and a certain person saw it, I'd never get hired. Nobody listens to this podcast. No one cares. I'm done. I'm done. I never really did, but I'm done worrying about the other side. My people need to hear this. And when I say my people, I don't mean the color of my skin. I mean the people who think like me, who want to see black people treated the right way in this country. If you can't deal with this. I don't need to be on your staff. I don't need to be in your organization. And mind you, as a professional, this is not to me, this is not a political conversation because this is not right wing, left wing. This is right and wrong. So as I go, as I move, so I wanted to say that. Let's move this is, back. This is, a, this is very black and white. There is no gray here. There, right. This is not an issue where there's a gray area. It is very clear what's right and wrong here. And that's what I think people need to realize. Like if you think this is a gray area, I'm sorry. You're, anyway. you're you're gone. You're right. done. There, there's there's black and white, and not not the I guess that's even bad terminology there. But there just there's no gray area here. There's no room for error. There's right interpretation. Or, this is right or wrong here. But here's the thing: you also need to look at, and we can go a little deeper. Where are we at in the college ranks? I mean, where are in we terms at? of coaches, in terms of assistant coaches, Eric, in terms of administrators. Eric Martin is a brilliant coach. Hasn't gotten an interview in years. Nick Van Exel is a brilliant coach. Haven't gotten an interview. Didn't even get an interview for the UC job when it came open. Didn't even get an interview. This is a former player who helped the team go to the Final Four. And when the job opened up, he didn't even get an interview. There is a ideology. Didn't even get an interview. I'd say... That ideology goes into just how we talk about coaches too, right? So instead of talking about a coach's X's and O's, their brilliance in play design, their out of timeouts, with a black assistant coach, oftentimes we 
revert to great recruiter or uh, great, very inspirational. Right. You know, maybe referring to their uh, just things that don't actually have to do with the the true. We focus know, on emotion I, with one description. It's the emotional stuff. And you exactly. focus on psychological with it's not one the mind. description. It's very rarely obvious, overtly praising them for what's happening in their brain, right? right? Processing the game, making, making adjustments to what another team is doing, the strategy components. Yep. It's more so the the intangibles, the heart, the being able to relate to recruits. You know, those aren't the things. There's so many black coaches out there that are doing amazing things in terms of strategy, in terms of drawing up plays. And it's just not the natural way that media talks about them. And let's face it, media in general are white people again. It's not. not now, let me say this, because this might be, this is much, much needed. It's not it's not you guys because it's, it's not white people. It's the thought of white privilege or that white is better. Like I've, I've corrected black players for telling one of their teammates because he's mixed that he has good hair. So this is, it's deep guys. Like it's deep. Yeah. And I don't let my players joke with the light skin, dark skin thing, because that is a joke that derives from slavery, house Negro, field Negro. So sometimes my like my joking, like I'll make you laugh with like real situations, like I'll bring up the obvious or something and make people laugh. But the, to me personally, there's some things you just don't joke about because it still hasn't been the wound, the wound still hasn't been healed. You ever hear a comedian say something about Ooh, too early? And everybody be like, Yeah, it was too early. Yeah, too soon, too soon. That's how I feel about colorism, education, Black Lives Matter, slavery, like to me, it's never been funny because we haven't healed. Now, maybe if we move past it and it's not a reality anymore, then maybe we could joke about it. But it's not no time, for example, it's no time to joke with your wife while y'all arguing about something y'all arguing about. Oh, I learned that mistake. Right. I learned that mistake. One day we will <laughs> laugh about this. <laughs> not now. And so what I'm saying is, if you look at the landscape of leadership in college basketball, if you look at the landscape of leadership in professional basketball, Bearcats aren't represented because of this derogatory theme that was painted in the 90s with hugs, taking guys and giving them opportunities to be something other than their surroundings and where they came from as kids. Because that's really what he was doing, is he didn't take what he, he actually wanted to take the toughness that we grew up in and say, if this kid can survive, this these this type of environment i want to change that and get him to be able to mold and focus that toughness into basketball in life being a man so here's where people always talk about hugs academically hugs understood that for a black american going to the university of cincinnati education is not number one it's showing you can keep up it's showing that you cannot lose your mind it's showing that you can compete at the highest level from a from a society standpoint, everything that, and like I said, mind you, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't play for Bob Huggins. So I'm only speaking from talking to his former players about how he was, he would let you talk, right? Like some would say talk back, right? He would let you challenge him. He gets the last word. That's a uh, democracy. That's what this country is supposed to be about. There are other coaches who are celebrated for being dictators. But this country, 
defies dictatorship, except for recently. So it's backwards because what you're saying is not what you're accepting. And what you're accepting is not what you're saying. And so there's been guys who've gotten kicked off of Hugs team. There have been guys who've been suspended. There have been guys who couldn't make it. Only the toughest survive. That sound like the military to me. Sounds like police boot camp to me. But you don't call them thugs. Because it's, it's worth bringing up. Well, uh, all I'm, I just want to interject quickly and just say it's worth bringing up too. Because Hummer and I speak from a fan perspective. And so you hear these things and, you, and they're said about players and you think they come and go. That kind of language and that kind of the way in which they're speaking about those players, my point in bringing it up is it stays attached to you forever. I had a scout ask me straight up. That's why it's important to overhaul this, the reputation. Because of the at, the, at the time that they're talking about it too, it's, it's almost like being talked as like an endearing trait. Like yeah. a, another good example is because this doesn't, I know the, the stereotype we're talking about here is existing in the Cincinnati world, right. but let's, let's expand it a little bit to the fight that broke out between Xavier and Cincinnati and Kenny freeze. And now I'm, I'm struggling to think of the young man's name in the S. press Gates. conference. No, no. I'm thinking of the Xavier player to Holloway and Mark Lyons. To, yeah. To Holloway who, who basically oh. came out and, and said that as well, you know, well, you know, we're, we're just thugs. Right. And, oh, he, said, and so, he said, coach, coach told us to be gangsters on the court. Exactly. And, and so it's, it, it's, it's almost celebrated at the time, but then when you look back on it, you know, you know, say 10, 15 years, you're now that that's the reputation that you have. And, and someone's always, I've heard this, I think the quote might be attributed to Warren Buffett. Um, but, and I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but he always basically says that the bank of reputation only accepts withdrawals. You can never deposit into the bank of reputation. So basically what he's saying is you start with a hundred points in your, in your reputation bank it's account. Taken out. You, only you can only take out, you can never add to it. And you know, so at those times, like we're hearing this and we're growing up with it, the hugs thugs and it's endearing, but then you look back on it. It's not, no, it's, it's not. It's endearing. Never was, though. It never was. It was just, man, we strong people, man. It's, it never was, man. It never was. And, and I can go on for another hour. I won't, but I can go on you guys about the things that I've had to get used to that. I don't like, I don't like it. And not that I don't like it because it bothers me. I don't like it because I know where it's coming from. It's, you know, guys get used to it. We turn the other cheek. We're told to be tough. We're told to, to, uh, to, to not be affected by it, to, to, you know, toughen up. And here's why Hugs likes tough players, because he knows that toughness is a part of success. And right now, this country is not being very tough right now with racial inequality until they saw George Floyd get murdered. And now we're starting to toughen up. But I was always told it's easier to start hard and soften up than to start soft and then try to get hard. Because then the person is like, what you doing? Why? What is this? I usually get away with this. Why is you? And this is about this is the this is a philosophy of dealing with children. This is not even a philosophy about the country. This is like you know, my children, I'm very hard on them. I'm very hard on them. Like people call me the disciplinarian, but then when they see my kids interact with me, they're like, well, how are you that hard on them? But they still respond because I know I can soften up at any moment. I can always say, hey, come here, baby, it's okay. 
but I can never be like baby, 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 and then all of a sudden try to put my foot down with something and her or he respect it. And that's where this country is, and that's where our players as Bearcats, we deal with so much, uh, so, so many underlining undertones and little smart things, remarks, and they just whiz past you. You know, and that's why it's a big deal when something sticks because you like, I deal with this every day. And if I'm pissed off, this must be really something. For example, I just told you a story about my wife's best friend having a gun waved at her and then just moved on. Yeah. That was a life threatening scenario. She could have crashed. She could have been looking at him and a car stopped in front of her. Any, But we're, our threshold of being treated a certain way, you know what we said? Thank God he didn't use it. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's 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 different because our threshold of pain and 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 um, mistreatment. You know, I always look at it like this. It's so persistent and consistent. It's like, like it's just every day. If I told I told somebody, I told somebody this, and this is great. This is perfect for the podcast. Um. As you guys know, I've been working very, very consistently to move up in the ranks as a coach to the next level. And I've been interviewing with G League teams the last four or five years. And every time I interview, they say you're not qualified because of this. I go and get it. I check that box. I come back and, you know, eventually it'll work out for me. And someone was like, aren't you tired? That's just, this is a real question. Like, aren't you tired of chasing the NBA? Aren't you tired of chasing the G League? Don't you just want to do something that you don't have to chase? I said, let me tell you something. I went to the University of Cincinnati. And I guess the person thought I was about to talk about how tough we are because of the hugs, thugs, perception. So I went to the University of Cincinnati. Oscar Robinson played in the 60s. And remember we had this conversation about when you were raised around wolves, you can't complain when you go to the zoo? Yeah. Being aware of what we've went through in this country. Yeah. I don't get to complain about getting a job interview. Mind you, it shouldn't be like that. But I'm torn because on one end, I want the opportunity, but on the other end, I'm like, I don't deserve it. If I don't get it, I don't deserve it, I gotta keep working because my ancestors, my forefathers, not the ones who signed the Declaration of Independence, but the ones were looked at as three-fifths of a man in the Declarations of Independence. If they can get through that, because I always tell people, if you telling me that boats brought all of us over here in the trans union of Africans into slavery, and we were in bondage for 400 years, for me to be on this call, what does that tell you about my ancestors to survive castration, separation, being raped, being terrorized, being split up, being stripped of their culture. I'm here. So somebody had somebody who had somebody who had somebody who had somebody who survived, who survived, who survived, who survived, who put me at the University of Cincinnati to bitch and complain about a 6 a.m. class. I can't. Right. I can't. My great-great-grandfather was told no so that my grandfather could be told yes. So my point is, 
who gives a damn if you've been told no or not yet? That's just my point of view. So that's why the Black Lives Matter, and that's why civil rights, and that's why the Black Panther Party, and that's why Rosa Parks taking a stand, and Malcolm taking a stand, and Malcolm's assassination, and Martin taking a stand, and Martin's assassination, and Huey P. Newton's assassination, and Martin and uh, Rodney King getting his ass whooped on TV. That's why every time we come to this point in this country, you have people like myself that say, we dare not quit. We dare not give up because my ancestors put in work so that I can have this conversation with you guys so that I can yeah. be open because I'm telling you talking like this 30 years ago, <laughs> good luck. Good well, luck. That's, that's the key. I mean, we, we, we need education and, and I don't know if you had a chance to read the piece by Justin Williams with Marcus Freeman, you know, one of the send it to me. football coaches. Um, yeah, we'll send it over to you, but you know, they're hashtag Bearcats United, but he's talking about, you know, not only being a coach, a father, and a son, but he's talking about how, you know, him as a black man, he kind of escaped the racism in his own way because of always being a successful football player, always being a successful coach, always being in that environment. And he's talking about how he actually had to do the research himself to find out what other black men and women were going through in his country. And the article, because when you're viewed in that light, it's, it's you know, a lot of us and you know i guess i don't i'll say this but like coomer and myself we obviously we don't experience it the way you do we never will we will never know what you go through we will never experience that or or in so we have to make sure that we're educated and that's why you know reading stories from marcus freeman having you on and having these conversations is, is so important because you know we're never we don't experience that and the only way we know how to have empathy is to hear and understand what you guys are going through. So that way we can march side by side with you and, and know that, Hey, we don't want to be the problem. We want to be the change we, we need. And everybody who's listening to this podcast, everybody in Bearcat community should be the same way. Cause you also brought it up too. Like, Oh, what would happen tomorrow if, or if, if we got to uh, March madness this year and we were playing and all of a sudden, Trey Scott and Jaron Cumberland said, you know what, guys? Peace out. We're out. We're not playing. We're sitting. All of a sudden, Bearcat Nation is up in arms. Right. We're motivated. And it shouldn't really come to that. Yeah. It shouldn't. That's not what should take this conversation. You know, we were in, and Coomer and I talked about this before you got on that, you know, there's never a good time for anything bad to happen. Like George Floyd should have never happened in the first place. But honestly, George Floyd happening when there were no distractions for us to be able to say, you know what, enough is enough. All right. There's nothing else that's going to get in our way. We're going to take this serious. Everybody's time to listen. And when I'm seeing these pictures come across, so we have some friends who live in New York and I live in Philadelphia and you're in LA. So between, you know, we're, we're, we're conferencing some of the largest cities in the country and seeing these movements and what's happening. What's different about this, at least from what I've seen, is that the protests are reaching where we're at, which is out here in the suburbs. Thank God that the, the protests are happening in the suburbs. Like the conversation can't be just limited to the city centers, yes. these large populations where, all right, the conversation's happening, but we need it to happen out here. We need it to happen everywhere in America. And that's, that's where it's just so important. That's where something like this article with Marcus Freeman is so powerful because it's, it's reaching out and it's someone saying, look, you know, this isn't always obvious, even to me, no. even to Marcus Freeman, it wasn't obvious. So you have to do the research. You have to take the time to invest in it. 
And that's what, that's what we want to do. And that's really one of the reasons Coomer and I decided we really have to talk about this because we, we got to educate ourselves and we got to educate the fan base on it. It's, it's important to know, and we're going to wrap this up, Ronald, but it's important to know that the protests are happening. Lots of noise is being made around the country. We're starting to hear whispers of, of changes at the local level, but the pressure has to remain constant because we're, we're actually needing minds changed. Like at the, at, the, at the lowest level, you're changing minds, which is hard. It's slow. It's, it's arduous work. Right. So that's part of the equation. That's why having conversations at this level can be helpful. It's a different perspective. It can be useful. But beyond that, mass protests have historically worked and they have historically turned into change. The civil rights movement was consistent. It was persistent. Folks were in the streets. And sure enough, we end up with the Civil Rights Act. That has to happen. And people seem energized by this. It does make me more hopeful than I was on past injustices like, like Tamir Rice, like Trayvon Martin, like Michael Brown. That gives me the hope, but there has to be follow-up. And, and that just takes each and every one of us, as you said, Ronald, joining the fight, doing your small part to have someone's back, to voicing, voicing anti-racism, being a voice for you know, speaking up when, wrong, when you see obvious wrongs, speaking up for just, look, like we said, this isn't a political issue. It's simply what's right, right. and what's wrong. Speak up for what's right, and we're going to be a better country for it. Um, thanks, thanks for joining us today, Ron, seriously. Remember, man, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for this opportunity and this platform because this is, this is a part of it. This is a part of the solution. Remember, you guys, you know, and I told my, uh, my, my ladies, uh, the head of her company, you know, when I sat down with him, he's like, I don't want you to walk away from this conversation feeling like less of a person because you guys aren't the problem, right? Like the issue is you guys didn't know. Now that you know, now that you can show. And that's just really about what it is about getting better. We can't take a soft approach to this issue. We can't be sensitive to this issue. We have to stand up, face our fears, and deal with the, the things that we've put in place and that our ancestors have been continue to fight for because you guys won't be the first and you guys won't be the last two white men who care about this issue on this side. And I won't be the last black man who cares about this issue on that side. We gotta understand that there's another side working also. And so that other side working 24 seven, we gotta work 25 eight. We can't get tired. And when we get tired, we gotta tag our partner in and, and hopefully they can continue to fight. And when we get back, get our win back, we jump back in. Everybody doesn't fight the same way. Remember my comment, if you don't take anything from this, this Zoom call or this, this interview, my comment is we appreciate the support. We thank the support. We just want it all the time. And we want to be treated the same way you wear my jersey and the same way you bump my music. In the same way you put my put your child in front of me to sign something, I'm okay with that. I love being looked up to. I embrace being a leader. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel protected. It is my sanctuary. I feel protected. That's why basketball players say, okay, the gym is my sanctuary. I don't have to look over my shoulder for gun violence. I don't have to worry about getting into a brawl because I know there's so many people here who will protect me that I don't have to worry about that. We want that in everyday life. We want you guys, we want everyone to care about black people and love black people the way you love and care about our culture.
That's the same love we want. And then we'll be fine because we, on the other hand, don't have nothing but love for everybody. And then you have, you got always have your outliers of terrible people. I'm not talking about criminals. I'm not going to say black criminals, white criminals. A criminal to me is a criminal. We're not talking about mean, evil people, whether regardless of what color they are. We're talking about people who give a damn. And if you love our culture, you should love us. Appreciate y'all, man. Appreciate you, Ron. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Anytime, man. Don't hesitate. I appreciate y'all for reaching out to me. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, yes, sir. however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed earth will rise again. Yes, sir. How long, not long, yes, sir. because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. How long, not long, How long? because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, sir. How long, not long, through forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yes, that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long, not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long, not long, because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah.